Listener Production. Hello and welcome to Willow Talk once again for another week. Adam Peacock here with Brad Haddon and Elisa Healy. Hello, crew. How are we? How are we, crew? I thought today was going to be a quiet day. No. There's a bit going on in, in cricket. Big Bash is about to start. We've got a test team mm. um, around the corner. And, yeah, we've got some interesting comments from an ex-teammate of mine that's, uh, yeah, made his mm. feelings known about the test squad. Hills, how are you? Yeah, going all right. Just digesting everything that Hads has been saying for the last half an hour in here. So, um we have a lead in before we say, we do, you don't miss anything. We, I make sure I include whatever we say in the pre-meeting in the actual podcast <laughs> in, in different words. But yeah, we'll try and get that in. I'm sure he won't hold back. We've got a special guest as well. It's great to see Shane Watson in the studio with us here on Willow Talk and uh, for our listeners as well. He's got a beautiful t-shirt on today. How are you, Water? I'm great. Yep, flying the blues flag today. Yes. <laughs> you missed the white shirt memo, but all right. Yeah, because you had a white shirt on in India, didn't you? And then it kind well, of stayed in India. Call, is that what you call it? Had it on? Sorry. <laughs> Strapped on? You know what? what? I knew you were going to go down that path. <laughs> I had to get it out of the way straight away. When that first happened, I, I defended you straight away. Yeah, why? The, what, what's the defense for? What, defending what? the tailor? No, the ICC no, tailor? No, that's, ex- that's exactly the point. You, you go to India, you go to, to the game. So be at the game at 8.30, we've got your clothes ready. And, and I've got deceptively short legs. I'm, I'm 34, <laughs> waist 32 leg. And, and I get there and... They're that much too long. And they go, okay, what do you do? And they go, I'll just get the scissors out. And they cut them off. But the sizes are different in, in India. An extra large, an extra large here, it might be two or three sizes out. So it's not what I was thought. Look, I appreciate your defence. But. <laughs> you did ask a lot of that shirt. But. <laughs> oh, buttons. Oh, the buttons. Ask a lot of the buttons to hold in there. But that shirt fit normally before it went in the wash. It was actually, it wasn't bursting at the seams like exactly to that extent. Mm. <laughs> and then that material, that pink material. Mm, didn't, I actually didn't just like, thought they stitched like up the wash. camera wise. I think the camera should have been on the other side. Like, Look, the camera the buttons, angle did not help yeah. my cause. But yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't great. <laughs> and after, as soon as that happened, I saw the feedback. <laughs> so, well, yeah, we're constructive. Yeah, we're always, always trying to get better, aren't we? Trying to learn from our mistakes. Then, yeah, that shirt was never worn again. And those couple sort of went in the bin and they had to get a couple of new ones done from the tailor. Anyway, you live and learn. That's what life's all about. Mate, you were, you were one flex away from causing mass destruction in that commentary box. I was in the Yeah, Smith. Yeah, I know. Sorry, guys. Anyway, everyone survived, thankfully. Uh, at least you can laugh about it. You look buff. You've got you no look, choice. You look <laughs> now, uh, with Watto and the crew in here today, we're going to break down Australia's test squad for the first test. We're going to recap the T20 tour of India and have a big old chat with our special guest here um, and talk about his book and his businesses he's got going as well. So looking forward to that, Watto. But um, guys, the, the test squad has been named. Before I get to that, by the way, thanks everyone who have followed us on the listener app, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Hit 150 ratings on Spotify, which is great. Looking for 200 by the time. The SCG test comes around. We'll put that time frame on it. Big week on Willow Talk. Uh, what I hear today. Thursday, we're going to recap the WBBL final, won by the Adelaide Strikers, who tipped them, <clears throat> uh, previewing <laughs> the BBL season. And we're going to get the guys to do their own BBL draft. And Hads are still hurting after his World Cup humiliation got smashed by As I said, I would just like to thank all the Healy family for riding in. <laughs> <laughs> test squad, guys. Um, what do you make of the fact that we've got the 11 and then probably Cam Green on top with the two pacemen as well, Boland and uh, Lance Morris chucked in for good measure too? 
It was interesting to see such a big squad um, going into that in the first test, and it was only a squad for the first test as well, by what I read, if yep. I read correctly, on yep. cricket.com.au. Um, so, yeah, look, they're obviously just giving themselves a bit of time to be able to work out exactly which way that they that the selectors and the, the captain wants to go. Um, Lance Morris is obviously an exciting prospect for sure, the speed that he bowls and the, the wickets he takes. So they're just going to continue to get him in around the group while they while they can for sure. But for me, um, you know, the, one of the most interesting selections is going to be whether it's Marsh and Green or just Marsh or mm. Marsh and Green. So, um, yeah, Cameron Green missed his opportunity in the Ashes and Mitch Marsh certainly made the most of the opportunity that he got during that um, Ashes series. So um, he obviously will be the one who starts. But the the blend, look, I've, yeah, I'm not exactly sure you guys probably know more than I do. Well, Cam Green is the only one playing in the Prime Minister's eleven, which starts tomorrow in Canberra. So that's, that's an odd situation that a guy's been named in the test squad and he's the only one playing, whereas opposed to the openers, the three openers, Suppose a backup, Renshaw, um, Harris and Bancroft are all playing in that game as well. Well, it's probably just a sign of the way they're looking that Cam Green won't play that first test, but he's going to be there as cover just in case. Maybe there's a couple of niggles around. Maybe that's why they've named the extended squad, but I think it's a good opportunity for him to go, you know what, I want to play in this this summer of test cricket and this mm. is my first opportunity to go out, apart from shield cricket, to go out and make some runs and, and knock the door down. So I think it, it's good. The more cricket... I think the more test cricket or shield cricket that they play, the better and the more opportunity there is for them to stick their hand up. You look at the squad they've got, they're not going to be there forever. Mm. There's players in form, there's players out of form, there's fast bowlers that are getting older. So there's just opportunities for people to stick their hand up and go, I'm ready. I think I, I like what they've done with Cameron Green. And, and what are you, you did in your career, you moved from six to three to four at different stages. I, I think we need to keep finding opportunities for him to bat up the order. Mm. If you're looking Shield Cricket, he, he's got a phenomenal record at, at number four. We're going to have some retirement. So I think at the back end of this summer, we know Davey's going at um, after the Sydney test. We, how, how long's Uzi got um, to play? So Cameron Green is one of those guys. If you look around Shield Cricket, when he goes back, he, he's playing as well as anyone. So, he, he could go to number four or, or up the order. Um, so I, I like the opportunities. Lance Morris, great selection. Mm. Because with the three fastballs, they're going to play all the test matches if available. So, so Lance needs an opportunity to, to start to learn from those guys. Mm. What a test preparation looks like. It's a lot different um, intensity-wise than, than first-class cricket. So he'll get a good look. They'll t- put him back to a bit of big bash at, at times to get some bowling, but he needs to be around these three fast bowlers to get experience at this level. More on that in a sec, more on Davey in a sec, but just on Cam Green. So you danced around the order a lot during your test career. How did you find that? And it looks like Cam Green might be doing the same. And also, if you can add to it, do you reckon he could open one day? like your good self did occasionally. Yeah, look, I loved the opportunity to move around the order because it sort of, it made me have to develop different skills, different game plans for different situations. Um, and luckily that I got the opportunity to open the batting because that was really where my, it freed up my mindset more than anything. Really? Yeah, absolutely. Because batting it- supposed to bat. Yeah, well, bat, even in test cricket, batting at like four or six, for example, you got to- see what's going on. If you're two for nothing, you you go into more defensive mode. Well, I did anyway. Mm. Go into more defensive mode. Oh, you know, let's build a partnership. Um, if you go in two for 300, you think it's a T20 game just to be able to launch from ball one. Mm. Whereas for me, opening the batting, 
that just gave me the freedom. You know, whatever happens, I don't really care. The rest of the guys pads down the order and try sort sort it out. If there's there's a mess, (laughs) down the order. So that actually freed up my mind just to just go out and and take the game on. So and fortunately, because I batted the top order through my in my early twenties and I developed my my technical game, I was well equipped to be able to handle opening the batting as well. So, and when it comes to Cameron Green, it's only a great thing that he continues to move around. He's definitely got the technique in my mind with everything I've seen to be able to bat, whether he opens or he bats three or four in test cricket. He knows how to score runs. He's got a simple technique. He'll continue to work it out. He's a fast learner as well. So you go back and score runs like he continues to do and he dominates. One of the biggest skills as a batter is to know how to score runs, yeah. and he does. It's a fair weapon, uh, fair arsenal of weapons he's got that he can bowl maybe 20 overs in innings, field like Phil Simmons and average 60 at number four or wherever he wants to bat. Well, that that's sometimes also you compromise as well. Like if you move him higher up the order, do, do you lose the, the bowling overs um, out yeah. of him? Because the, the one player that hasn't really been mentioned as an opening option, I, I think if you have a look at Mitch Marsh, he, he plays the fast bowling as well as anyone. He, he, and, and this modern game, it's good to have an opening batsman that looks to, to be proactive, looks to take the game on. And he picks up length as quick as anyone in, in this Australian team. And he's, he's faced a lot of fast bowling in, in the West. And when there's opportunities, I, I, I don't mind his name and see how he goes at the top of the order. He'd open for England, wouldn't he? He played baseball. <laughs> this Hads ball we're learning about here. Well, isn't it? I, I just it's also a myth. <laughs> <laughs> well, that definitely is a myth. Um, but I, I just think Mitch Marsh's technique when he plays the game, he gets a full stride into the ball. He understands his his technique now a lot more than he did five years ago. And and he's one of those players um, playing a little bit with him. I, I think he's better suited not to think. Like when he sits down at six, he, he, he likes to watch the game and can sometimes overthink it. I, yeah. I don't mind him um, at, at the top if an opportunity does come up. Yeah, I reckon like I'd, in that instance, I'd probably lean towards Cam Green only because I, I think, this is my opinion, when he comes in in the middle and they're spin on, he, he finds a way to get bogged down and he struggles mm. to get into his innings. Whereas if you throw him at the top of the order, he knows what he's doing. He gets the fast bowlers to come in against, test his technique, but he's already going by the time the spin attack comes on and then he knows how to how to dominate. Get him up there early. Uh, there is an opening, obviously, coming after the Sydney test, Dave Warner, and we've all read what Mitch Johnson wrote in the West Australian. Basically, I know Mitch loves his MMA and everything. He's jumped off the top of the cage and jumped on, on top <laughs> of the top turnbuckle, if you like, and hasn't held back his opinion about David Warner basically choosing his time to go. That was the main thing I talk about. It, look, we can go over sandpaper and all that garbage. We're going around in circles with that. But on current form and all of that, what do you make of, of this? Because it felt very, very strong out of nowhere, if you know what I mean. Everyone else, it seems, has accepted the fact that Davey's going to retire after the SCG test and he's going to play until then. Well, D- Davey hasn't been given any promises from the selectors that, that Sydney's going to be his last test. In a perfect world, he'd like to play... Uh, Sydney's last test, it's his home ground in front of his family and friends. But Mitch's summary of it was a bit odd. It was a bit left field. Um, Mm. I don't mind past players um, saying, okay, this is why I wouldn't have him in the team. This is what I'd look at. But it looked like a a bit of like an aggressive attack on on Davies' um, personality, which I I don't think you, you need. Yes, you can have an opinion on what you think the team should be, but... I don't like when past players go really hard in a personal um, angle to the players, and it felt a little bit like that to me. 
Well, yeah, and I, what I don't like it is that they played together, right? They're, they're probably mates. They've been mates for well over 15 years. They've played a lot of cricket together. And then to almost, I don't know, show your colours, I don't know what it, what it is, but then go bang, like really hard on a personal note. There's obviously some scars there that he's getting out. I'm not sure, mm. but at the end of the day, he's, he's entitled to his, to his opinion. But it just, for me, put, makes cricket look a little negative and I, I'm not a huge mm. fan of that. Because from a fan's point of view, it's like, because we don't have the inside of what you guys do with, with, with that mentality that happens, especially in the elite sphere, because it is different to playing pub cricket because you just go and play for someone else. But it's like <laughs> international sphere. From a fan's point of view, it's interesting. And when laundry like this gets aired, because it's like, oh, okay, not everyone does get on. But yeah, yeah it, was, it, was, it was pretty striking. And at the heart of the matter, Watto, is whether or not Davey's still good enough and playing good enough cricket to play for Australia at the moment. I mean, how do you feel when, when you're near the end of your career about trying to have an idea about when you're going to go? How does that form itself in a player's mind? Well, I'm not exactly sure because I got dropped, so. <laughs> That's what I mean. But <laughs> I you would have liked the idea of, okay, I'm going to go to your here yeah. and then, but you had that opportunity taken away from yeah. you. During, fair enough too, yeah. yeah. Um, but like, <laughs> how do you line it all up? Yeah, look, the interesting thing for me was Dave put a stake in the ground a long way out, which is, hasn't really been done before, which with my experience with being around um, that I can remember <laughs> for the last sort of 30 years of cricket where someone sort of a year out said, oh, Sydney's my place to finish. Because you never know what's going to happen. Mm. Just form alone, whether you're whether you're dominating, you get that opportunity. So, look, if I'm sure the selectors have been very sort of clear with him to say, look, if you're not scoring runs, obviously in a perfect world, you do get to Sydney and good for you because mm. you have been such a great player for this Australian team for such a long period of time in all formats. And you do deserve a send off that you want, mm. but you need to make sure that you're like scoring runs. Ricky Ponning would have loved the perfect send off that he wanted as well. Um, the perfect one. And most players do. Yeah. Sometimes you just get a tap on the shoulder and you've got no choice. Mm. Have you lined it up yet, Hills? Where you want to? You can put it in now. I've given if you him want. a four-year warning. No, the <laughs> <laughs> four years. No. There you go, everyone. Well, no, because I couldn't live with that hanging over my head. I think. <clears throat> yeah. Everybody tells me that, and you know, hopefully, I'm luckily lucky to be one of those players that gets to pick and choose. I mean, you just look at Meg Lanning recently. Didn't really get to choose. You know, when she wanted to finish up. There's obviously other factors mm. at play there, but a lot of players don't get that. Got, get that option. So if I am lucky enough to do it, I think you just wake up one day and you go, I don't want to do this anymore and you go, see you later. But yeah, I wouldn't want that hanging over my head for 12 months knowing that the the end is nigh and I've got to make runs to stay in the team. I mean, that's just, that'd be really uncomfortable. Yeah, because look at the, I can only go on numbers as well. We can take personality as part of it and this, that and the other and what he means to the greater sphere of a, a greater meaning of Australian cricket. But last 32 innings, David Warner, Average, 29. And you go, oh, is it good enough for an opening batsman in a, in a team like Australia? Uzi, same period, averaging 50. Around the world, uh, Duckett, Crawley. Duckett, 43. He's only played 28 innings for England. Crawley, 35. Shubman Gill, 32. Rohit Sharma, 47. Ulhak and Shafiq. Ulhak, 39. Uh, the two Pakistan openers we're about to see. And Shafiq, 50. Now, granted, they're on turning decks. They haven't played on the bouncy stuff out here in Australia. So you line it all up, the best or the four nations that I've brought up there, Davey's got the worst average there. But you feel like the credit in the bank for what he's done already in that team, 
that's what's going to get into the SCG. It's interesting. A lot of people will go straight to stats because that's an easy tool when you, you're making selections. But there's a lot of things that go in, into selecting teams, um, the, the style of, of play that you, you bring to the top of the order. Uh, we, we've seen that with, with Davey and Travis Head in, in the World Cup. Travis mm. Head's selection was a really brave one for, for the World Cup selectors to, to hold him back. Um, because of breaking hand and giving the the opportunity to play at the back end of the tournament, and the reason they did that was the style of play he brought, mm. the energy he brings to the game, and and, and Davies' selection is based a, a lot around that. There's not many people can do what he does at the start of a game in the first ten overs when he's playing at his best. He he puts you straight on the front foot, and he can actually take a, a series against Pakistan away for them in the first hour and a half of the game with the style of play. So at the back of his form in in the World Cup, the the attitude he showed, not only with the, the bat, but the way he presented in the field, he's, his willingness to get into a contest says to me he might be ready for this last campaign just to say, you know what, I'm ready. Yeah. And he's played 100 tests. He he knows what he's doing. The hard thing with retirement is when you get it in your own head yeah. and you're thinking, oh, do I want to do those little things? And Matthew Hayden said it to me, and I was only young. He said, you'll know when you know. And, and I remember th- um, thinking, Hados has lost it. I, I'm not going to know. This is great. <laughs> but the day it hits you, it just goes bang, and you just go, oh, I'm done. Yeah. And, and, it, and it stops like that. So, yeah, a lot goes into selection, and let's just see where all this ends up. Do you think we're still having this conversation because there's quite literally no one banging down the door? I mean, we, yep. the, we keep talking about who the next opener is, and we've gone from this foot. In this list of 14 players, is that because we don't have the other option? Marcus Harris is contracted but not scoring a stack of runs at shield level. Um, Cam Bancroft isn't contracted but is scoring a stack of runs at shield level. I think it's like 1,400 runs in his last 17 matches or something like that, which is probably good enough to get you in. But because he's already been there, do they trust him? That's what it feels like. Yeah, that's a lot of runs. That's that's seriously knocking down the door from a numbers perspective. Uh, but that's the thing. It's in a in a cricket team environment. It's not always just the numbers that are the reasons why you get picked or you don't. Mm. It's um, whether you've had an opportunity previously and how you how you went, how you blend into the team environment. All those different factors do yeah. come in. It's not just the. Unfortunately, it's not. It's subjective. So it's not yeah. just the sheer numbers. Nathan Lyon uh, expected to be the only change from the last Ashes Test. So Todd Murphy came in for Nathan after the baby calf went ping at Lords. Um, Hads has told some great stories of of Nathan Lyon knowing him when he was on zero Test wickets as opposed to nearly five hundred. Mm-hmm. Uh, you played in his first Test. You got something for us here with uh, Nathan? I'm not and- sure what's been said from Bradley. <laughs> <laughs> All good. Oh, about what a nervous wreck he's like. The nervous wreck that he is with a bat in his hand just about to go out, and you know, apart from that being a fabulous bowler and, and fantastic guy to yep. keep to. But I don't yep. know if you can add to anything there. Um, yeah, the one thing that I do know about Nathan, one, one is evolution as a bowler yeah. is just is mind blowing. I remember playing that, seeing him play in that first test, um, and he had high skill, but to be able to see how he's continued to do that over a long period of time and dominate on all different surfaces, surfaces has been incredible to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, look, I, there's no question that he, at times he does struggle to sort of hold his nerves in. Um, with when playing with him, but also in the lead up to the song was always a bit of a, which I'm sure he's got better with age with that. <laughs> what about he was nervous about remembering the words or something? Was he or getting it right? Or I, I think what Hatch you, is always a really good foil for him. 
I think the one thing we've, you've seen, <laughs> and changing the subject quick, uh, we, we've seen with Lino is his growth in the game. He, he got picked to, to play his first test. He got a wicket his first ball to, to Sengakara, um, caught Clark at first slip. And he, he would admit himself, he'd come out of 2020 cricket. He'd played hardly any first-class cricket. He went on an A tour and at that time had gone through 10 spinners and, and he was probably 11th to say, oh, let's, here we go again. Can you do what Warney does? Like there, there was hmm. a lot of pressure on all the spinners. We've seen Horrocks, we've seen Beer, we've seen Bo Kassam. They expected these spinners to come out and do what Warney did. So Lionel evolved in, into the bowler he's now and, and to sit where he sits now, about to take 500 test <laughs> wickets, he's an off-spinner that bowls in Australia, doesn't have a doujra and he's got no hair. So, like, he's doing everything right. Like, he's he's about to take 500 yeah. test wickets. He's going to go down as one of our greats. And it seems like he still loves cricket as much as ever because in the last week he signed for Lancashire mm-hmm. to play county next year. He's been told to go away by the Sixers. We'll get to that in our BBL preview. But playing for the Renegade. So, again, he's got something to prove there. He's... He still looks like he froths over cricket. Just want, doesn't want to spend any time at home. I don't know what it is. <laughs> all these all these contracts, but um, good on him. I mean, I mean, there's people who love training and there's people who love playing. And I think mm. Nathan seems to be the guy that loves playing. And a winter over in the UK playing cricket um, in I Manchester, where you won't see the sun. Correct. But I think it's it's a good opportunity. He probably hasn't mm. really had that much opportunity in the past. Uh, and we asked our Instagram followers for their thoughts on the squad. Uh, Zach says, like a good home-cooked meal, nothing special, no surprises, but needed after time away. <laughs> Dave Clark on the same theme, as solid as grandma's Christmas cake. Interesting take on things. Leon, pretty solid. Hopefully they give Lance Morris a game. Who would you drop for him, though? Um, and Stub6487 could be a bot. Uh, he's one of the few that said, Jai Richardson is very unlucky. So, but Jai's just come back from injuries on limited overs, isn't he? Or Lance Morris is as well, but it looks like Lance Morris has got ahead of Jai Richardson in the pecking order at the moment. Jai Jai Richardson's just got to play cricket. Mm. He's had a a horrible three years of of getting his body right. Um, And his opportunities now just to play cricket for extended periods. Once he does that, he'll be around the the Australian squad. But, yeah, he's he's just got to get on the field and, and produce his best because mm. his skill level, he, his wrist is as good as anyone in the world. I'd love to have him for an Ashes series in, in England. I, I, I think he would be world class over there with the, the Duke's ball, but he's just got to play some cricket. Facing Lance Morris looks like an entirely unenjoyable experience at 150 k's <laughs> an hour, Auto. Most guys who bowled 150 k's <laughs> is not that pleasant, to be honest. Fastest <laughs> <laughs> bowler you faced? Um, well, show back to him, Brett Lee. The uh, different times, yeah, though. pretty quick. Yeah, <laughs> yuck. Yep, nasty. Yuck. Imagine one at each end. Oh. Yeah, no, not that either. <laughs> Mossman, great, great cricket, wasn't great it? Great cricket. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I remember opening actually in, in a game with, with you in the UAE and show back to, and, and he had he'd, he'd walk back halfway now and then, and I had a tendency to, to look down a long time. Yeah, this was me watching Hads throughout his career. Yeah. Look up, look up, look up. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to have to think too much about and, and I remember he, he's gone off his long run, one's whistle pass, and, and I'm sort of tapping down. He's done a, a quick turn and I sort of pulled away and said something to him, said, Oh, get back, you goose. And I remember talking to Wada and I said, Listen, I'm setting up for a pull shot. If it, it's a Yorker, it's going to bowl me, but he's going to try to hit me in the head. <laughs> and I remember setting up and, and got the pull shot. And I tried for the next three overs 
to get to the non-strikers then every ball I was petrified. He, he, you played pace well. I, I didn't want to play. You're on the other end going, would you stop winding this bloke <laughs> up? I didn't surely. mean to. He, he, he tried to cheat. I said, mate, get back. And just as it was coming out, I went, oh, what have I done? You don't say that to fast bowlers. <laughs> I would have walked off at the non-striker. I would have gone, your turn. And just gone nah, off the this, field. This, was, this would have been 2009, yeah. right? Yeah. So Shoab was... He had a big limp. He was sort of yeah. limping into the crease. So it was that was okay. That was sort of right. mid-140s. Yeah. Is that all? So, yeah. So well where he's, he's got that one ball, though, didn't he? He does, but still <laughs> limping in, like, yeah, especially when it was a bit hot and him running off the long run. Occasionally, if some flies just somehow just flew, flew around your helmet and oh. made the most of it, because back in the heyday when he was bowling his absolute oh. heaters, that was real nasty. But Brett Lee at Mossman Oval, unenjoyable experience as well. Oh, I didn't face him there, but the per, the poor grade cricketers who rocked up to Mossman Oval and thought, <laughs> I'm just going to have a hit against the guys bowling 120 dib, dibbly dobblers, and then Brett Lee and Shaw Bacto rock up, marking their run-ups out. Whoa. Trying to outdo each no, other. I'm going to the bench. <laughs> <laughs> just hit the stumps. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, guys, the, the T20 series. So India won the T20 series 4-1 over Australia. Game four since we last spoke. Um, they beat Australia by 20 runs and by six runs in, in game five on Sunday night. Yeah. Can you give us anything to take away from this series, the, the very much an afterthought after the World Cup? Um, oh, I think take some experience out of the series. I think there's a lot of guys that haven't played a lot of cricket in India, also guys that haven't really played a lot for Australia. So I think there'll be a, a lot of learnings for them. Obviously the T20 World Cup around the corner. Um, yeah, lots of takeaways in that regard as to who might fit into that squad, depending on who's available, who wants to play it, um, how many of the big dogs are, are going to mm. be there. So I think some good stuff came out of it. Mind you, India were playing their seaside as well, so it was all probably mm. um, just looked like hard work for all of them. But I think some positives to take out of it for sure. I enjoy these series, if I'm perfectly honest. I know it's bad timing, but all the World Cup players eventually went home. But you, you need to play guys like Philippi, McDermott, uh, Dorsha's Tambi Sanger, when, when the big plays aren't around. You, you need to see how their behaviours are under pressure when they've got to be the ones to, to bowl the last over. They're, they've got to be the ones to go from 30 to 60 and see out the game. So as much as it was poor timing, and, and Cricket Australia got it right in the end, they, they sent all the guys that were, weren't sober home. Um, but to play the other guys under Travis pressure. Heads, Travis Head stayed. Oh, yeah, he wasn't allowed to get on a flight. He was too <laughs> drunk. Um, but I, I, I love it. I, I love that they have to perform under pressure without the big players. Does that still count, though, like with, with the staff gone as well? I mean, they have fresh staff there that probably haven't really coached a lot of these guys before. Does that still Is that still relevant? I, I think it is. I, I, as I said, I, I just think it's a great opportunity to go, okay, th- this is a tough cauldron. Like, go, go out and see um, what India's like, the, the pressure. Then all of a sudden they come back to their state teams and go, listen, this Australian team, it's it's different intensity. Um, you train different. The pressure out in the middle is different. And, and their training standards jump. I, I know when we were playing, and, and we are probably the beneficiary of it a bit, and Starkey was as well, where they take you away on a, a tour and you, you know you're not going to play, but you get used to what it's like to be an Australian player. You come back to your state cricket and you go, Hang on a minute. I, I've been training like a boy. Now, now it's time to jump the standard and, and train like a man. You find that, Moto? Oh, for sure. There's, there's no question. That I was very lucky to get opportunities in and around the, the Aussie squad at a, at a young age, and that's absolutely where you see exactly what goes, what really does go into being the very, very best. Um, and that's where tours like this, you do have to make the most of a tour, a tour like this at the back end of a World Cup. Look, for me um, personally. 
these these types of tours are the is the issue with international cricket. Mm. And I know all the reasons why these tours are on, but this is one of the reasons these sort of tours where the huge positives are for the players to get opportunities for sure. And that's mm. a great thing that Australia did in the end is just flush out all the World Cup players because that's a big, like, that's an emotional journey yeah. to go through to be able to get to a point mm. to be able to win a World Cup. So then once they flush those out, which I, they probably should have done from the start, mm. is just get those younger guys in <clears throat> to make the most of an opportunity of a, a, a T20 series like this, which is just these ones that are added on to sort of I'll scratch your back, you'll scratch mine, which the sooner those... Yeah. Soon those two of those series are gone in world cricket, the be- the better in a way mm. to be able to just make sure that it's high quality cricket being played all the time. They like yeah, and I agree and it it happens in international cricket all over the place, but in that sense though, if cuz our team at the moment are all they all play three formats, right? Our mm. best 11 players are basically the three format players. So in that instance if we don't have them, those three format players are basically dominating world cricket right throughout the 12 months. So we actually don't have an opportunity to blood new players. I mean, even the comment about hopefully giving Lance Morris a go of this test series, well, mm. try telling that to Mitch or Josh. They're like, it's mm. not a charity. I'm not handing my spot to Lance Morris. Yeah. So if those series almost need to happen for the Australian team in particular, and probably the Indian side as well, to get, get some games into the guys that are mm. probably going to do it for the next 10 years because at the moment... Those 11 guys are dominating that Australian team and don't want to give up a spot. Speaking of India, have you packed yet? No. No? Got my visa though, so off we but go. Are you going all, all good? You're, you're playing? Packed my Christmas ham and... Yep. Um, and your wicket-keeping gloves as yeah. well? Yeah. Yeah. We'll see how we go. Yeah, all good. Good. Hitting cricket balls again, so happy oh, as Larry. Splendid news. Yeah. Splendid news. Now stick around in a moment. We're going to go through the life and times of Shane Watson. What I, uh, the World Cup, which you witnessed um, from a commentary box, um, did it bring back memories of, of when you were involved and, and witnessing it, or was it a totally different field because you're, you're there but you're not part of it? It's amazing how you feel. Uh, it seems like a long time ago that I was in and around the Australian team play, mm. playing-wise, so it does feel um, a little bit foreign. Even I did a, um, a thing at the Nets um, while I was there in uh, – Oh yes, in luck now. And again, this is my first training session that I'd been around like the Australian team for a long time. So it just feels a little bit like foreign now going and thinking that I actually did play for it for quite a while for Australia. Um, but now from a commentary perspective, be able to see the way the Aussies went about it um, and they looked not great at the start at mm. all. Like They looked like they were well off the pace. But for them to be able to turn things around and, and gosh, everything was perfectly set up for India to be able to, to be able to win and yeah. they were playing and they were dominating. But for the Aussies just to be able to know how to turn it on when they really needed to, that was, it was incredibly special. And especially for me to be able to see a number of the guys that I was fortunate enough to be able to play with and a number of the guys that we won the world cup in 2015 with, to be able to see them take that 2015 feeling and then just like morph it in their own way into mm. the team environment that, that, that they created and the way to be able to find a way to be able to win in those ridiculously challenging conditions, like they were, they were really hard. That first game in um, Chennai, that was as foreign a conditions as you get as an Australian cricketer. Yeah, and the final was sort of mapped out that way as well. But then the bold decision to be able to um, to be able to bowl first was just. Did you did you sense that coming? The Australian was going to yeah. bowl first. Yeah, the, in, in my mind, after seeing that wicket, 
I felt the only way Australia could win mm. was bowling first and hoping that the Jew would come in and the wicket would the wicket would just get better to bat on. That was my only way. I was like, because the wicket was, it looked like it was going to yeah. be very, very challenging to bat. And India found it challenging to yeah, bat in yeah. that first innings. They couldn't, they had no confidence, confidence at all hitting through the line of the ball, especially through those middle overs where that's when they're at their best in particular. So that for me was the only way, even if Australia played at their very, very best, that was the way that was going to sort of fall into place. Mm. And it did, which was great. Yeah, You've got some great memories from obviously winning a couple of World Cups, but Looking from afar with this team, and we talk about it a lot and we pride ourselves on Australian teams, is understanding tournament play. From from the outside, after those first two losses, is a big moment against Sri Lanka when they're none for 120 or something, and Paddy goes, hang on a minute, and, and turned it up and, and took the game on. And from that moment there, it looked like, okay, now we're in tournament play and we're peaking for the back end of the tournament. Could you feel that over there? Oh, you'd sense it straight away. Yeah. Um, there's no doubt Paddy Cummins in that third game, yeah. um, in particular, you could see his energy cranked up. Yeah. His pace his pace was up a bit for sort of 5Ks or so. But then Dave Warner, the, the standout turning point for me was Dave Warner's catch in the outfield, yeah. running around like this, a 37-year-old throwing his body around and taking. That was where you could sense this energy that was created around the team. And, and from that moment on, they really didn't look back at all. And everyone just put their hand up, turned up when they really needed to for the specific moments, not just a game. By specific moments, everyone really put their hand up. And you'd see by in the final, the semifinal and the final, the fielding yep. was what you expect of the very best teams in the world. And then the celebrations, obviously the, the team celebrated very well. I want to know about the commentators because there was enough of you to have a really yeah. good, was about 40 commentators on that final. Um, did you get out on the PI double five after the, um, after the final or uh, what happened? <laughs> um, uh, that's a yes. <laughs> look, everyone, that, after that final for the commentators, like for me it, was a, it really is a treat to be able to get and work with some of the greatest people have ever been sat in the commentary box and see the way they go mm. about their things and how and why they're so good. Um, everyone clears out. It's like a, t- a cricket team as well. As soon as the final's done, just about everyone's got their, a lot of the time, got their flights booked and all their travel sorted. Yeah. So it was more so in the lead up to the final where there was a few more sort of enjoyable moments celebrating a, a great World Cup. But um, yeah, there's a lot of Look, there's a lot of commentators, and I've felt very fortunate to be one of those to um, have a couple of stints in that in that final because that's that is the ultimate for for anyone to be a part of. Best on tour in terms of look, not bagging anyone out here, but who was your standout? Surely Smithy. Best on tour. Look, Simon Dool is very uh, he's very social. Simon mm-hmm. Dool he knows how to organise things. Yeah, it doesn't mean that he's. Um, He's out like all like all the time. That's certainly not the case. But he just knows how to get the group together. Okay, bring a team together. You need, you need those blokes <laughs> He's a in your team. Yeah. Absolute weapon. So well connected, yeah. and just makes things happen. <laughs> That's what you want. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Let's get into your career, mate, because it, it's been a theme in the last couple of weeks. Um, Ten years from the whitewash, the Ashes whitewash. Mm. When I mention that series, what sticks out for you? Oh gosh, that was the ultimate time to be an Australian cricketer for, for me with my experience. That was, that was the first time in 2013, 14, where I really felt that the Australian public was right behind every single player in the team. Is mm. at times there was like, because there's always one or two players in the gun from the media or from the, and then the public go, he should be dropped. He's no good. Get him out. But that 2013, um, 
2013, 14 Ashes was the time wherever we went, Brisbane, Adelaide, Perth, Melbourne and Sydney, it was just like the whole, all of Australia felt, Australia felt like they were behind us yeah. to be able to do whatever we could to be able to beat the English. And that was a really special time. And then that sort of just you know moved beautifully into the World Cup as well, which it definitely felt like that. But that for me was just oh, a special time. Like in, yeah. in Perth after we won it, um, you just wish you could you know, pause that moment mm. for sure. There's two times in my life you wish you could pause and just stay there like forever. And you know, one was that, that Ashes 5-0 whitewash. More so Sydney after we smashed them in yeah. those three days and Jane McGrath Day is a very special yeah. special um, day on the Australian cricket calendar and world cricket calendar. Um, and then the World Cup in 2015 after we won the MCG. That's another day, which I'm sure, well, I know that the current guys who won the World Cup would be thinking that at Umderbad when... 120,000, even that number went like shrunk down, even yeah. <laughs> shrunk down after the Aussies <laughs> yeah. won. Oh, only 92,000, which is. <laughs> there was 120 there. there was, yeah, there's yeah. a, there a lot more than 92. <laughs> What's your pause moment from your career so far? Heels? Oh, the T20 World Cup at the MCG in front of 90,000 people was amazing for Katie us. Katy Perry. Oh, yeah. On stage with Katy Perry. Who missed it? Someone missed it, didn't Rachel they? Rachel Haynes was doing a drug test. <laughs> That's <laughs> um, Wow. Yeah, that's that was a cool, yeah. cool moment. But there's been so many, and then the world went to shit two weeks later. So anyway, COVID. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for a little pause, but no, that like absolutely fantastic. Pretty cool. Yeah, pretty cool. Hads, no, mine, mine are the same as Watto's. Yeah, yeah. It, that that 2013-14 team. Like you don't go through many series where the same eleven players play the whole time, and you sort of at we're all at the same stage in our career where. We're all just peaking, and we and we we knew we, we were good enough. Where we say, no, 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 we we need a moment like this. We've got a World Cup coming, which we're, we're well planned for. If we get the everyone gets through that um, unscathed injury wise, mm. we're going to be a big chance. But it, it was also the style of, of cricket we played. We we had Mitch playing a a different game to everyone else, um, and you had guys contribute at different times. While I got a great hundred in Perth, where. He decided to ruin Graham Swan's career and, and take it off. So if you look through the whole team, everyone had their moments. Mm. And you, as I said, you don't often get, like, we're all around the same age. We've all gone through the same things, ups and downs. And to win it with that group is as special as it gets. Chris Rogers, we had him on, was it last week? Was yeah, it? he couldn't remember most of it. He, he, <laughs> love, love Bucky. <laughs> love Bucky, what a legend. Well, there was a time there perhaps you weren't, in love with him as much because he told this wonderful yeah, story. Do you know what's coming here? Yeah, 2006 Australia Tour. Yeah. Darwin and Cairns, yes. No, not that. No. No. It was oh, God. DRS at Lords. Oh, that, that's Where you okay. sworn off it and you've gone, I'm not, t like if I get hit in the pad, I get given out, I'm walking, I'm going. And then he talked you out of it and then it was red light, red light, red light and it <laughs> left you hanging a bit. Look, can, to be you, can you retort to what he did to you? No, because all those sort of poor DRS reviews sort of blend into one in the end. I'll look back on it. So, Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> but he's, he's stitched you up as badly as you can. No, because that's, you, that's, you, not a, that's not a stitch up in the end. Like your partner's there to sort of give you a guide, yeah. but it comes down in the end. But it comes down in the end. Yeah, I know, but it's a, it's a, it's a guide, you, you know. Yeah. And I, you, <laughs> I, I use it every time. I, cause I, I yeah, but you could. No, no, I, I didn't use it. Whether I was out or not out, yeah. I just went. You know what? I'm the last to recognise batters. Yeah, that's you, what I mean. That's yeah. why I say you could. Yeah, but I, I had a He's bad record order. as well. Yeah, yeah, but what my, was mine just I was down the bottom, so it didn't matter. I, I was half the time I was walking off, going, "That's out." But if it's a fifty-fifty, can I say what I? 
Yeah. Roger Federer has got the worst record in line challenges in the history of tennis. Has he? Yeah. Yeah, but shocking. He's so probably what, only but, challenged two in his life. <laughs> well, <laughs> he must some, went in. <laughs> sometimes that I saw Roger Federer do it because he obviously was. It seemed like he was against the the. Well, the whole guy sort of thing says like, <laughs> oh no, he did it because he had. <laughs> yeah. See, I just did, yeah, I'm like, no comment. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Kicked him in some big hole. <laughs> you mentioned just before like that series, and um, you felt everyone was behind you, and there was always one or two players that were in the in the gun, um, as you said. No offense, I take this the wrong way, but a lot of that time, a lot of the times, I felt like you had to deal with that a lot, whether people were bagging you for your DRS or whatnot. How did you deal with that right throughout that period and still be as good and look like you're enjoying your cricket when you feel like everyone's against you? Look, I, I certainly had my challenges and a big part of that was one was my injuries for sure, like just stop-start issues because of my injuries and especially my hamstring and calf injuries. And, and they were the times that probably hurt me the most because people would start to question like, than me, me being soft on making up these injuries, which I wanted to be the best cricketer I possibly could. There's no way that I'd do anything to not be on the cricket field to be able to try and be as good as I could. So those were the times that probably hurt hurt the most. And the and the other ones were, it was just in and around the team environment that that I was in, and it was really either um, yeah, you know, one side one side or the other, really at that time. But in the end, I just I've always absolutely loved the game, and I wanted to be as good as I possibly could at it. I definitely put too much pressure on myself and I suffocated my own performances because of I was so desperate for the results that I that I wanted. Um, but I know looking back now, I did everything that I possibly could with the information I had, the quality of people I had around me, I did everything I possibly could. And in the end, that's all you can ask of yourself. Oh. Is that why that writing this, I don't know if it was an easy process. So when I say this, if you're listening, it's Winning the Inner Battle by Shane Watson, book. It's got some good references up the top, Ricky Pointing, Faf Duplessis, and also Brett Lee. So they're pretty free handy names to put on the front cover <laughs> alongside yours. But the process of writing something like this and coming up with the idea and the concept to pass on and your mentoring as well, we'll get to that in a moment. Mm. But if you don't have all that going through, I mean, does it become a bit more difficult? Because you can lean on so many experiences to pass on and not to say that the things that happen to you are going to happen to everyone, mm. but it kind of forms a, a concept in your eyes that you can help other people with whatever challenges they might be facing or well, about that's what face. I feel about life in general is, is trying to pass on your experiences that you've had, good and bad, and especially the bad because that's where you learn the, that's where you learn the most, yeah. um, is to be able to pass it on, to be able to make other people's journey that little bit smoother so they don't have to go through the deeper lows or as consistent. Um, but for me with this book, uh, Winning in a Battle, it's it. this generally is a concept from a guy that I got taught in when I was 34. So 2000 and, um, 2015, late, late 2015. So you're still playing? Guy, yeah. Delaire, you're still playing, um, being dropped from test cricket, being dropped from one day cricket. My performances were going like downhill big time and it got to a point where I was going to retire because I knew I just felt like I'd lost my skill or I was desperate and I got connected with a guy called Jacques Delaire through Will Power and I was the IndyCar yep. uh, champion. Um, great and name. Such a great name. <laughs> One of the best. Yep. <laughs> and a great guy for sure. Um, and he connected me with Dr. Jacques Delaire just around the, the mindset side of things and I was desperate so I flew, through, flew over to see him in North Carolina in Charlotte and the information that he gave me is information that I hadn't heard before just about how, to, how, you, how we as humans sabotage our own performances and then on the flip side of that, how to get out of your own way to be able to access all the skills that are so deeply ingrained yeah. in you. Jacques knew nothing about cricket at all, just knew about high-performance people. 
which he'd been doing for 40-odd years. And so this book is a culmination of my experiences previously to knowing this information and then how I use the information to be able to turn myself around and then have some of my best career, uh, best performances of my career, mainly playing T20 cricket because that's sort of where my, mm. my journey had taken me. Um, so the the framework of this book is around um, Jacques Delaire's information and the information that I was taught and now that's my what I feel is a huge part of me moving forward is passing this information on to as many people as possible because I wish I had this information from a mental perspective when I was like 14 or 15, yeah. when I was developing my technical skills, but then been able to get out of my own way to be able to access them more consistently. Yeah. Because we all want results. We all put yes, so much yeah. pressure on ourselves to perform. So it's understanding how can I marry up the technical skills that I'm working so hard to develop and also the mental skills to harness that every time. Well, was it, I, I know the backstory why, why you went and, to, and did all this. Was it confronting, like to, to get on the plane and go and stand in front of someone and explain the the fears that you're going through and sort of put your hands up and say, oh, I need help. And, and that's the hardest thing as, as sportsmen and, and men and women in life to say, oh, I'm not coping with this. Was it confronting? I thought it was going to be, to yeah. be honest. Like the, I had a half hour conversation with Jacques um, just to confirm that I was going to, yeah, it was worth, and <laughs> worth flying over yeah. to North Carolina just for a couple of days to be able to yeah. spend uh, a couple of days with him. But I just had, I knew I had nothing to lose. And I, and I wanted to go into coaching when I finished. So even if I was going to retire the next day, then there might be one bit of gold information that he yeah. could give me that could help me in my coaching in the, in the next phase of my life. So I just, I had nothing to lose. And going over there, I thought it was going to be confronting. I just sort of be broken down in this sort of like, like broken down to the core of who I am to build me back up. Yeah. It was actually just the information, the structure of the information just made me just go, oh yeah, gosh, I can turn that around. Oh yeah, that, okay. Oh yeah. And that really makes sense. And then a couple of questions that he asked me is around, you know, one of the fears that I was having and put it into perspective and it just, and immediately on you after those two days, I can turn things around for 100%. So I wasn't, I definitely knew, I knew, I knew yeah. I needed help. My wife knew I needed help as well. Yeah. Mm. Um, cause of where I was at in my, yeah. in my life as a, as a human for sure. But the way this information was just, um, given given to me and taught to me it's just it's it's gold if you had a, had that meeting 10 years before do you think your career would have been different because you, you achieved everything you, you achieved everything you did in the game you won world cups you captained the country very successful where everywhere you went would it have changed anything what i know is it would have been stress less and oh, anxiety what less pages that <laughs> all through it <laughs> all through it so it would have been definitely i i know especially in Test cricket, I'd have been able to concentrate for longer periods of time, yeah. batting-wise. So I, I believe I'd have been able to – most of the time where I got out, I got out and I was thought it was, it was always technical. That was what the coaches saw. That's what I saw. That's what I'd watch on yeah. the um, on the replays. But most of the time is I'd torch my mental energy because I was overthinking things in the lead-up to the day. Then when I was out there batting and I'd just burn through my mental energy and I'd be f- mentally fried. Yeah. And then I'd make a mistake, a technical mistake – and that that would all that was all I'd look at was my technical mistake. Whereas if I actually process it like I did after I knew that information, it would be okay. Let's just start with where my mind was at in the lead up. Did I have was I off on that ball? Did I torch my mental energy because I had mental fatigue? So <clears throat> I think things would have been I would have been able to bat for longer periods of time. Whether I scored more runs or not, don't know. So results you they're out of you know, out of your control. 
but stress less and anxiety and worry less 100% would have been very different. And, and with young athletes now, you're doing a lot of work with young athletes. What, mm. What's the response you got from them? Along similar lines. In, in the end, this information was life-changing for me. Yeah. From just stre- like re- pulling all the stress out and anxiety around just being the best you possibly can be. And then just making people think about how they think. Yeah. Really, because most of the time we just think. Yeah. Our environment just creates thoughts yeah. instead of actually understanding we can we can control them to be the right things at the right times. And especially when it comes to performance and we're always performing in all aspects of our lives, we want to better try and take the control that we do have that I certain, you know, we don't get taught this at school around what things you are actually in control of when it comes to your mind and your thoughts. So um, it's being received as I was taught and how the impact that had on my life and majority of the time, 99% of the time, it has the same impact as well. Were you too, or are you a stress head playing? Has, were you and heels? Are you? No, not really. Don't appear so. <laughs> yeah, but I, everyone's different. That's yeah, everyone is. Yeah, you are. You work yourself um, up sometimes in, into a state. Um, I did. I sometimes vomited uh, before games. Once I did, though, I knew I was right right to go. Mm. Um, red, I, red flag. Yeah, red flag. Get on me to get run. <laughs> Don't feel the first slip. Don't feel the first slip. You're diving in something. <laughs> I think a lot of the pressure you use, though, it's it, you put on yourself. Yeah. Um, and, and going through what I was booking and that's the, the techniques that if you can learn that a little bit earlier, um, and, and maybe then it, it might help your performance. It might not, but what it will do is relax you a lot more and enjoy the game mm-hmm. and enjoy everything that goes with it rather than always being uptight. That's it. Yeah. It's mine. Mine's an interesting one because I feel like my life experiences have given me an unbelievable amount of perspective and Mm. cricket for me, um, probably being a female in the sport as well, it's never really been the be all and end all. It's, it's fully professional now and it's slightly different Don't get me wrong, but I've always felt like there was something more than cricket and Mm. I'm still really lucky to be 33 enjoying the game, um, seeing it become fully professional as well. So I've always seen it from a different angle, but I'm not, I didn't grow up or start playing my career in the furnace that the guys have had and the scrutiny yeah. that they've had um, over a long period of time. So I've sort of been able to ease my way into it. But it's it's going to be this. It's going to be similar for the Phoebe Litchfields and the Annabelle Sutherlands. So what these guys experience now in the yeah. women's game. So I think this stuff's really important. I think I did a, a little bit of this naturally um, because I, I know with my career. I was following Gilly. So there, there's an opportunity that I, I would never, ever get to play for, for Australia, yeah. no matter how good my performance was. So I, I had to take him out of the equation and, and make sure I could be the best performed athlete I could be. And, and that might have been playing 100 games for New South Wales and, and being happy with that mm. because there just was an opportunity. So I, I think when you read books like this, you start to you get your mind to, you know, oh, I naturally did that. Then you pick that one um, one or 10% in there, you go, that would have made a difference. Um, you've just actually alerted me to a question that I really want to ask mm-hmm. is that you stood at first slip next to this man, <laughs> Bradley. <laughs> what was that experience like? What, what, what was said? We, when you're watching, what you really want to know is what do they talk between balls about in the slip court? Kids. <laughs> so what <laughs> crap oh, did topics, he come up look, with? Well, it's not just him, me as well. General, general Chat, God, the topics yeah. we covered throughout yeah. the days, but one of the joys of playing test cricket was being able to be it when I was able to get into yeah. first slip because that was like the proper like 
Golden Wing Lounge, the old yeah. Golden Wing Lounge. <laughs> first, if the ball doesn't go straight to your first slip, it's not your catch. <laughs> <laughs> and Hans looked after me so much, he's like, <laughs> and the second slip's got to come across. Yeah, so. there was a period in your career you turned into Jeffrey Dujon, just diving for everything. <laughs> we, we, you talk about slip feeling, about skill, but the, the skill of slip feeling is the relationship you have with your, your slip. Yeah. Trust. Yeah. It is, and Watto and I were there for a long time together. So I knew he was good to high to his right or to his left. If it, if it was going through the middle, I've I've got to go. So you learned to and trust. And if it was low, um, well, we'd both just go. Oh, how's your smaller? <laughs> 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 we had to look after his hammies. It was all about slip feelings. All all about trust with with the people you got next mm. to. You. You might have a big catching area. You might have a small catching area, mm. but you complement each other in the way you move. Another one I wanted to ask you, last night doing a bit of research, the three minutes of research that we do for these podcasts, mm. I noticed the number of teams you played for. <laughs> um, yes. I counted 19 franchises or states or counties that you represented during your career. Did you keep a shirt for everyone? And where are some, they? What some, warehouse well, for, are they? For, mo- for most I have. <laughs> yeah, they're stored, they're, yeah, they're stored away. I tried to probably keep one of each shirt that I, that I the teams I was fortunate enough to be able to play in. Because that's I a bloody good sports store. It is, yeah. I was, oh, look, I, I know I was very lucky to be able to have opportunities to be able to play at, yeah, yeah. At, a, at a time where those opportunities were around. It wasn't just like the good old days where you just played county cricket and as an overseas pro, really. That was really the mm. only other team that you played for apart from your state if you didn't have to move around. Um, and look, in the end, you know, I wish I didn't have to move around from state career perspective, but opportunities, yeah. you need to you know, make the most opportunities that present themselves in life. Um, so, but yeah, I played for a few different teams. So the, yeah, the, the attic in my house, is, <laughs> it's pretty full. Which was <laughs> your favourite though? Like if you had to pinpoint one team that you thought this was pretty cool, which one was it? Well, Australia. Oh, boo. Outside of Australia? Franchise. franchise. Oh, franchise. Oh, gosh. I'll have to say probably the most special franchise I played with was the Rajasthan Royals. So that was Especially warning. in year one, yep. Yeah. And it's even more special now that the great man's not with us anymore, mm. for sure, because that was – no one expected us to do well. I was sort of like 2000 – that was 2008. I was on the scrap heap of Australian cricket because of my injuries that I'd had. I was out of like most of the formats. I had been questioning my body and where it was at at that time and then having Warney sort of look after me and, and then what we created and winning that first IPL, that was, yeah. I, I think yeah, I was working yeah. with Lee at Fox Sports News then. Yep. And I remember one night in particular, I think it was draft night, or <laughs> very excited when the, the, that was that first one where every, no one really knew what the IPL was going to be. Mm. It was this concept. And then they had the the draft or the auction or whatever yeah. it was called, and it was like, holy shit, all of this is happening. And I dare say, holy shit in capital letters at your household with this is happening, how it's going to evolve, and then bang, you get to play with the great man in the first yeah. one. And well, I wasn't off. I wasn't in that first auction. Oh, you weren't in the my, auction? No, because Lalit Modi hand picked all the overseas players. That's right. Yeah, so and because I was on the international scrappy, but I wasn't one of the first in the first auction. So yeah. there was another a second auction, a baby auction that came in for the sort of the scrappers and I was fortunate <laughs> enough to be one of those to get an opportunity. Turned out all right. And then you play for <laughs> not complaining. Royal Challengers Bangalore. What about this mm-hmm. for a top order? Gail, Coley, De Villiers, Watson. Mm. Not bad. I know, and we had a chance a, an amazing chance to win it that year as well in twenty sixteen. Yeah. And I had one of my worst games, especially from a bowling perspective, which 
And I'll bowl some crucial over. So let's just Little move on from up. that. That's, just a, that's the RCB sorry, sorry, curse. Virat. <laughs> sorry, Virat. Whoops. Whoops. The other yeah. thing I'm looking at now, what you've gone into into coaching. You talk all about the the teams there, but mm. you're coaching the US. Mm. That's one interesting in in not a yes, it's opportunity to coach, mm. but. Where's where that going to end? Are you excited about not only coaching there, but this could be massive for the game, couldn't it? For sure. Yeah. Cricket's been wanting to get into the break into the US market for a long time now, and it's taken up until just last year for it to finally sort of them to make some inroads into making it happen. So there's so many, there's so many expats and very powerful people who do love their cricket, who've sort of made their life in the US. So. Yeah, it's an, and and the ICC sees the opportunity as yeah. as well in the in the US market. So yeah, I, f- I feel very lucky to have that chance to be able to coach one of the one of the teams. What's the team? You got? San Francisco Unicorns. Oh, that's Go the right. Unicorns. That's with Silicon name. Valley Such and the, yeah, the, all the Google types and all that stuff. So his internet security is pretty good as well. well now. <laughs> 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 so, <laughs> uh, winning the inner battle. Check it out. Uh, Shane Watson, thanks so much for dropping by on Willow Talk and um, have a good summer, mate. You too. Thanks Great for chat, guys. That was Willow Talk. <laughs> we'll be back later in the week and we're going to have a look at everything Big Bash. So we'll uh, review the WBBL and look ahead to the BBL season. Also, we'll get heels and hads to do a draft. That's later in the week.